Registration is now open on What's Your Name's Yucatan Tour 2024. Join us in Mexico as we walk in the footsteps of Zazel Ha, learn traditional Mayan cooking, tour Mayan ruins, snorkel with sea turtles, and so many more off-the-beaten-track adventures with our wonderful little band of kindred spirits. Spots are going fast, so sign up now on our website at whatsyournamepodcast.com. We can't wait to see you there. This episode was sponsored by Girls Can Crate, a subscription box inspiring girls to believe that they can be and do anything. Real women make the best heroes, and every month they deliver them to your front door. Hi, Olivia. Hi, Katie. Hey, how do you feel about big life changes? (laughs) Some people experience mammoth change in their lives. Yeah. And other people, Hmm. stasis, you know, their lives hardly change at all. Hmm. I don't like those. (laughs) Oh, you don't like (laughs) non-change. I think I am one of those people who love change. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, two years in one spot and I start to feel like, all right, time to go. Hmm. But, but I think, you know, massive change can be hopeful or it can be terrifying, but staying stuck Ah. can also be those things. Hmm. You know, we're, humans are famously afraid of change, that we don't like change. Mm. We don't like, you know, new things happening. But mm-hmm. but we also dream up possibilities. Right, and I, that's what I was going to say. I don't think that's true. I think, I think as many ah. of us are terrified of stasis as of change. Mm. I mean, I'm... There have been many times in my life when the worst possible thing that could have happened to me was you have to stay here forever. And and that ah. would have been mm, so much worse. Huh. Well, the woman I'm going to tell you about today, mm-hmm. I think might agree with you. Oh, cool. How Jew's life changed dramatically in an incredible twist of fate. Mm. She was born in southern China in 1910. Mm. And 1910 was a big year. Last time, we talked about Wu Zhao, the Chinese emperor, 1,300 years ago. Yeah. Then, fast forward Chinese history to 1910, and we see the last emperor ousted in a dramatic coup. Hmm. So, 1910 is a huge turning point in Chinese history, and today we're going to zoom in on the daughter of a butcher in southern China Mm. whose life is going to be completely transformed by this change. But it wasn't just the Chinese political world that affected her. In fact, our story really begins four years before her birth, (laughs) clear on the other side of the (laughs) Pacific Ocean. Wow. Because what happened there in 1906 changed her destiny forever. The San Andreas Fault ruptured over a distance of 300 miles. Oh. The earth shook from Oregon to Los Angeles and as far inland as Nevada. Wow. They didn't have the Richter scale yet, but modern geologists estimate that it was maybe as high as an 8.3. One of the worst natural disasters in American history. A newspaper sent Jack London to report an eyewitness account, read here by Elaine Hamby for LibriVox. Not in history has a modern imperial city been so completely destroyed. San Francisco is gone. 
Nothing remains of it but memories and a fringe of dwelling-houses on its outskirts. Its industrial section is wiped out. Its business section is wiped out. Its social and residential section is wiped out. The factories and warehouses, the great stores and newspaper buildings, the hotels and the palaces of the nabobs are all gone. All the shrewd contrivances and safeguards of man had been thrown out of gear by thirty seconds twitching of the earth crest. An enumeration of the buildings destroyed would be a directory of San Francisco. An enumeration of the deeds of heroism would stock a library and bankrupt the Carnegie Medal Fund. So how does the San Francisco earthquake affect the life of an unborn baby mm. in Guangzhou, China, thousands of miles away? Mm. Well, it's a really interesting story. I'm Katie Nelson. And I'm Olivia Mickle. And this is What's Her Name? Fascinating women you've never heard of. So I recently returned from a trip to San Francisco. Lucky. Where... I spent an amazing, surprising day on Angel Island. Cool. It, it's seriously cool. Hmm. It's known as the Ellis Island of the West. Mm. And you can sometimes hear in our recordings those ocean waves in the background. Mm. And uh, stepping off the ferry, I met with Casey Lee. Welcome to Angel Island State Park. <laughs> My name is Casey Dexter Lee. I am a State Park Interpreter 2 at Angel Island State Park, and that is part of the California State Park System. Casey Lee has lived and worked on Angel Island for 19 years. Whoa! Yeah, the, the state park employees live on the island. Wow. And uh, the population is like 20. Wow. <laughs> the entire island is a state park with historic sites scattered around it, all from different time periods. Wow. It's an amazing place. Hmm. So why are we here on Angel Island when Hao Ju was born in China? Hmm. It's because of that, that 1906 San Francisco earthquake. When that quake hit, everything changed, not just for America, but for China too. Ooh. Because in San Francisco, everything burned. Now, one of the important things that happened is City Hall burned down. City Hall was where they kept all the birth records. So all of a sudden, nobody knows who is or is not born in the city of San Francisco. Now the city wants to have records. They ask the public to come reestablish those records. People come down, claim to be born here, and write down the names of their children that are living abroad. Wait, so like the that's going to be your... ID now we just come and tell you where we were born, yeah. who's in our family, what yeah. our name is. Yep. You tell the government. This seems like a boon for those <laughs> attempting to change their identity. People went to City Hall and they gave wow. them names. Wow. Plenty of names. So many names. <laughs> okay, but I can see changing your identity. Why are why are you making up people? Well, especially Chinese people living in San Francisco, oh. they are just saying, I have right. seven children and here are their right. names. So all of those extra names that were added to those roles mm -hmm. become identities. So this is a large scale opportunity for people who want to come here. One of those names was Hao Ju. 
and that name will change the destinies of a couple of sisters living across the ocean thousands of miles away. Hmm. Hao-ju wasn't born Hao-ju. She was born Lam Wan-hoi. And she was never supposed to come to America in 1928. If you know Chinese history, then when you hear she came from southern China in 1928, mm. you go, yikes. Get out, get out, get out. Get out, exactly. In that year, China was imploding in a brutal civil war. Yeah. Remember, the emperor had been ousted in 1910, but for 17 years, things had just gone from bad to worse, fighting over the future of China. No more emperors in China. We will rule ourselves. But how are we going to rule ourselves? Yeah. China fell into two main camps. Those who believed in kind of swinging the pendulum radically in the other direction, going from the gross inequality of the empire to the extreme theoretical equality of communism. And then there were those who thought a nationalist middle road kind of approach was better, which appeared a lot like the wealthy people were just going to take over. <laughs> so communists versus nationalists. Right. The tension had been building for well over a decade, and in 1926 and 1927, the nationalists moved to wipe out the communists once and for all. Their leader, or one of their leaders, Chiang Kai-shek, issued secret orders for the removal of all suspected communists in southern China. More than 10,000 suspected communists were mm. arrested or went missing or were publicly beheaded. Mm. So for three years, this civil war is raging across southern China. Pure chaos. 300,000 people died. Mm. It was a bloodbath. Entire families were killed. Girls were kidnapped and sold into prostitution. Mm. And here is where the story of our sisters really begins. Two desperate parents said to themselves, we have to get our daughters out of here. Mm. And they knew someone back in San Francisco who had written Hao-ju on their papers at San Francisco City Hall, the name of a daughter that they didn't actually have. Mm. So these parents in China thought, well, we can at least save one of them. Mm. We'll send the oldest. Unfortunately, after her family had bought her uh, paper identity, Lam Wanhui's sister was kidnapped for ransom. And because she was kidnapped, she wasn't able to travel. And so the family said, well, we have another daughter. She is going to take her sister's place. And so it was the younger sister mm. who became Hao-ju instead. Oh. oh. <laughs> I know, it's so bonkers. Mm. 
they came to call women like Haoju paper daughters. Yeah. The Chinese refer to it as taking the crooked path. And man, I mean, women like this are so brave. This mm. is so dangerous. Because since 1882, so the earthquake's in 1906, but since 1882, a federal law had been in effect called the Chinese Exclusion right. Act. It's hard to begin because the story of Chinese exclusion uh, is really a result of people not welcoming Chinese immigrants. Laws started being passed fairly early on that limited the ability of Chinese immigrants to do things other people could. So there were laws passed to stop Chinese people from owning property, from attending public school, from testifying in court against Caucasian people. But in 1882, it comes to a peak with a federal law called the Chinese Exclusion Act. Mm -hmm. And the title is pretty straightforward. The intent was to keep Chinese people from coming to America. After the Civil War, there was an economic downturn, not surprising considering the toll that war took on the country. But it was very common in American history in times of economic hardship for people to look for someone to blame for those problems. And often the new group of immigrants mm -hmm. were the people blamed. Mm -hmm. So when we have that depression, it's also a kind of synergistic moment when unions are doing a lot to fight for workers' rights. Now, unfortunately, the unions were not terribly inclusive. So they mainly were Caucasian men that were uh, members of unions. And particularly one uh, man from the Working Men's Party, Dennis Kearney, and he was a very good orator. He gave grand speeches in the streets of San Francisco. And this kind of slogan he came up with was, the Chinese must go. Working men of California, within a few months, we will have a thousand men armed with Springfield rifles and ready for action. We are bent on driving from the state of California these miserable moon-eyed lepers. The movement was led by the labor unions. Right. They had decided that all their problems were caused by the Chinese. Obviously. They thought if they could keep Chinese workers out, that the white worker would have more of an advantage. Mm -hmm. So because those unions are nationwide unions, they're able to use their voting power because at that time, pretty much the only people allowed to vote are Caucasian men. They use that voting power to pressure the federal government and politicians to change the law. Now these laws were considered, are considered racist because it wasn't actually about your nationality. If you were born in France of Chinese ancestry and tried to come to America, you were Chinese under the law. You weren't French. So. That is the first time in our history a group of people was excluded based on race. Back in China, Lum Wenhui's family, to save her life, bade her farewell and said, you have a new family now. <laughs> her world was in chaos. Her sister had been kidnapped. <sighs> and 18 years old, she stepped on a ship destined for San Francisco.
Lamon Hui becomes Haoju, the daughter of a merchant. She comes with her paper family. It costs about $100 for every year of life for false papers. So the paper Lum Won Hoi ended up using said she was 20 years old. So that would be about $2,000 in 1928. Depending on the year they're coming, could take anywhere from three weeks to 10 days as we get closer to 1940. That journey is on a large ocean-going ship. En route, she studied desperately to know all the answers to the crazy specific questions she knew she was going to have to answer to prove she was Haoju. Mm. Now, she's not had a lot of time to prepare. Most people that came as paper sons or paper daughters would get coaching papers or a coaching book to tell them about the family and village that they came from. It would have details like how many houses are in your row, where's the market, where's the water source, is there a wall around your village, who sleeps where in each room, where's the rice been located. All of these are things that might be asked in the entry hearing process. The first thing they would have heard of America would probably have been the fog bell ringing out across the famously foggy San Francisco Bay. Mm. And the bell is still there. Whoa. I got to ring it. Oh, cool. That ship, when it arrives in San Francisco, comes through the Golden Gate, smaller boats from the Immigration Service, the Quarantine Service, and Customs would greet those boats and determine who would have to come here to Angel Island. Class was a big issue. Um, if you were traveling in first class, it wasn't very likely you would even be sent to Angel Island. They would often do those inspections aboard the ship and allow first class passengers to go directly to San Francisco, even if they're Chinese. Huh? Class trumps all. Yeah. <laughs> so when immigrants arrived on Angel Island, there was a pier uh, directly at the immigration station that went out about 200 feet into the water, had a wharf at the end. They'd come um, off of that smaller ferry boat that brought them here to the immigration station, drop it off any large luggage. They could go once a week and get things out of storage and travel down the dock and they would go into the administration building. I can't imagine how she felt. She steps off the boat, she's made it to America, mm. but she has to convince everybody that she's Haoju. So the administration building faced the water. Um, that is how you were greeted. It was meant to kind of be this impressive building upon your arrival where they would start to segregate people. Uh, you would be segregated by race, class, gender, and health. So for racial segregation on Angel Island, they had three categories, European, Asian, and Chinese. And this is usually when people get a strange look on their face and think about the globe. Um, and in fact, China is in Asia. It is part of the Asian continent. Uh, but the reason Chinese people were separated from other Asians coming in 
was because of the Chinese exclusion law. There were separate laws for them. And in fact, people came from 80 different countries yeah. <laughs> to Angel Island. So as far as health, uh, you would be sent up to the hospital. And the doctors at the hospital kind of had conflicting jobs. Doctors are supposed to help you get better. But the doctors here also had to help keep people out. And so the immigration officials would look to the doctors for guidance on diseases that were common amongst certain groups, and then they would make those diseases of uh, quote-unquote undesirable immigrants an excludable disease. So you could be excluded wow. simply based on that disease and not go through any additional processing. Wow. Now you could get medical treatment at the hospital. Some services uh, you had to pay for. And so if you didn't have the financial means to pay for those treatments, you could also be deported. So we know she made it through the first step of the screening, hmm. um, but she's a woman. So there's an important second step of this screening. Hmm. Morality check. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. We'll head into the detention barracks. There are additional restrictions for women. And so women were also subject to exclusion based on morality. Oh. Ugh. Uh-huh. Oh. Giant eye roll. I know. But she passed that test too, apparently. And step three is the real big one. Answer all the questions right. And now let's pause for a word from our sponsor. Girls Can Crate is an awesome subscription box that introduces girls age 5 to 10 to real, fearless women who made the world better. Every crate features an inspiring woman, a 28-page activity book, plus everything you would need to complete two or three hands-on seam activities and more. And if you're on a budget, they have mini crates too. Real women make the best heroes, and every month, Girls Can Crate delivers them. For What's Her Name podcast listeners, we have a special discount code for you. You'll get 20% off your first month's crate, any subscription that you order. Girls can crate, C-R-A-T-E dot com and use the code her name to get 20% off. So immigrants were questioned, particularly uh, those coming from China, to try to establish true relationships between relatives. They did this by doing separate interviews with family members and comparing their answers. If answers match, that's the truth. If they don't, the immigrant is lying. Let's do it. I have some questions here from actual transcripts. Oh, cool. Let's see if we could convince them that we are sisters. Okay. Okay, so your answers have to match my answers. Mm. And if they don't, we are liars. Uh-oh. So what I've done is pre-record my answers to these questions, and I will now present these questions to you, and ah. we will see if your answers match mine. Oh, man. Okay. This is stressful. <laughs> okay. So these questions have to do with our childhood home. Okay. okay. Question number one. What direction did our doorway face? Oh, crap. Uh, I don't know that about my house now. Um, okay. Well, mountains. East. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's see what I said. Our doorway faced east. Good job. So far, so good. Question number two. On what side of the room did you sleep? Oh, uh, east side most of the time, I think. I don't remember. 
Nice. <laughs> Let's see what I said. She slept on the uh, the. <laughs> it must be the south side. Oh. Okay. This is looking bad. <laughs> so, I hope you answer this next question correctly. Where was the rice bin located? <laughs> Oh, in the pantry. Okay, let's see what I said. The rice was in the pantry. Yay! All right, next question. What is the name and age of your sister's husband's oldest sibling? Um, I know one of your husband's siblings' names. <laughs> This is I outrageous. Think You're a liar. She's older than he is. It's over. It's over. You failed. That's the worst. That's not fair. Those are real questions. Mm. And if it were us, real sisters, we obviously would not wow. pass. So the burden was really on the immigrant to prove that they were who they said they were. And if you were able to pass for Chinese immigrants, that was about 50%. Mm then you would be allowed to enter the United States. For the other 50%, you had the option to appeal. And most Chinese immigrants did use the appeal system. So in the end, for Chinese immigrants, less than 10% are ultimately deported. But while you went through that process, you had to stay here. So it's a really interesting kind of phenomenon that these people that struggled so much to enter the country, there's a lot of documentation about yeah. their immigration experience wow. versus families that had an easier time entering the country. You might only find their name in a ledger from the ship. Mm -hmm. No additional information. Everyone has hopes for a better life. Yeah. I think every single human, you could stop them and say, what would make your life better? Yeah. They could instantly produce something, small or big. Yeah. And really, it's our human cognitive development that makes us uniquely able to dream up possibilities, mm. to imagine futures for ourselves. I think it's this variability that led to human evolution and civilization in the first place. Mm. And if you lived in a war-torn country of horrific proportions, can you imagine what you would do? Would you let your parents send you across the ocean to a new world? Yeah, I mean, if, if the... Especially, you know, knowing what I know about this place and time and history... It, uh -huh. You do not have a lot of options. I mean, you your day-to-day -day life is so incredibly dangerous mm. that I, I really think it's not even a choice. Mm. I mean, your choice is go do this crazy thing and hope you get through or, or probably die. Yeah. And it would involve leaving your family uh. behind forever. Which, in, especially in China, is 
that's it that's the whole base of everything about you your family is mm. I, I don't think we can even understand yeah but you are it it's like losing everything about your identity and then just landing in San Francisco and putting on a different mask Lamon Hoi or Hao Ju was able to pass the entry hearing and was allowed to be landed, as they said. So her paper says she's 20. In reality, she was 18 when all of this occurred. She went to Oakland, she met her future husband, and their first child was born about a year after their marriage. And after all that, I wouldn't call it a warm welcome that awaited them in San Francisco. And remember, it was the labor unions. It was Mm. the people who had tried to keep the Chinese out in the first place. Mm. And so feeling unwelcome, the Chinese gathered together in Chinatowns. Mm. We have some antique recordings of Chinese people in San Francisco Mm. singing their traditional songs. One of them, it sounds very jolly. It's a song where a man and his wife complain about each other, and it's funny. But this is laughter in the face of adversity. Mm. This is them joking to help themselves deal with the harsh realities of the world. And also the song helped prejudiced people to learn to like them Mm. instead of fear or hate them. Mm. Here it is. And we have some other songs about Chinese people, but not by Chinese people Mm. from the early 1900s. The songs highlight for me how there were lots of different stereotypes and, you know, different flavors of prejudice back Mm. then. You could be outright racist and hateful, you know, or you could be tolerant but not friendly, Mm. or you could be like... I'm a friend of the Chinese. Ah, cute little Chinese people (laughs) doing their best, you know? And a lot of those songs are that flavor. Mm. For example, here is um, a characterization of China Man Mm. in a song called Chinese Blues recorded by Irving Kaufman in 1915. China Man, China Man, wash and laundry all day. China man, China man, smoking pipe, they say. He's got a little China gal, she love him all right. He love little China gal too, so he sings to her every night. Song Fang Lu, Song Fang Lu, listen to those Chinese blues. Honey gal, I'm crying to you. Open that door and let me in. China man, China man, wash and laundry all day. China man, China man, smoking pipe, they say. He's got a 
find a man Cry, baby, won't you let me in? China man feels his habit coming on again She cries to him What's the matter with you? I got those itching Hong Kong Out of a Chinese blue Their own street music, of which we have a couple of recordings, it sounds much less tidy, mm. much more chaotic. And maybe that reflects the world, the mental universe at least, that they were living in. She continued to call her paper sisters sisters for the rest of her life. Uh, she was very grateful to the family that helped her have the opportunity to come to the United States. But often people ask about her true sister and what happened to her back in China. She was able to return to her family after her family paid a ransom, but she lived the rest of her life in China. And they never saw each other ever again. <sighs> There's a Stephen Sondheim line, careful the wish you make, mm. which has come true, not free. Not free, yeah. I think about that a lot. Mm. Because so many times what we imagine, what we hope for, yeah. it can come true in heartbreaking ways. <laughs> Now the detention barracks is a museum space today. And part of the reason that building still stands is because some of the people who stayed here wrote and carved into the wooden walls. And a lot of that writing is actually in the form of poetry. Those who were detained at the immigration station stayed for weeks or months, Ugh. in some cases years, and reality did not align with the hopes they had clung to for this new free world. Mm. They wrote their stories into the very walls of the building. Mm. And this is the most amazing thing about the immigration station, I think. You can see the writing. So this is a spot that you can see some of the layers of paint. Uh, the writing on the walls was considered graffiti. And so the immigration officials painted over it. And so there's about seven layers of paint on the walls. Some of the poems are written in ink or pencil, but the ones we can see today are carved into the walls. So the poems have lots of different themes. Um, some of them are frustrated, angry, 
sad, lonely, some are more hopeful. There's poems about all the different things that happened as far as the long journey, the bad food in the dining hall, mm. the waiting. Um, there's even poems about the poems. Mm. <laughs> um, but mm. this is a really beautiful one uh, that I think really shows the mood. And then the English translation, there is a title to this poem, Random Thoughts Deep at Night. In the quiet of night, I heard faintly the whistling of wind. The forms and shadows saddened me. Upon seeing the landscape, I composed a poem. The floating clouds, the fog darken the sky. The moon shines faintly as the insects chirp. Grief and bitterness entwined are heaven sent. The sad person sits alone, leaning by a window. Written by Yi of Toisan. The walls tell us a part of the story that government records hmm. never could. That one says, a thousand sorrows and a hatred ten thousand fold burns between my brows, hoping to step ashore the American continent is the most difficult of difficulties. The barbarians imprison me in this place. Even a martyr or a hero would change countenance. This is actually one uh, part of it says, there are tens of thousands of poems on these walls. They're all cries of complaint and sadness. Part of what we have to remember is that it is poetry, so it's not necessarily full of facts, mm. but it's full of feelings. Mm -hmm. Because there are, in fact, not tens of thousands of poems in this building, mm -hmm. but when you come in, it kind of feels that way. The walls are just covered in writing, and you can mm. kind of envision that when you hear that poem. I took a lot of pictures of the walls and of the mm. whole site. I mean, it really was amazing. It's kind of a, a haunting place. So well presented and, and so well preserved. Mm. There's one more poem I'd like to read. For a year on island, we experienced both the bitter and the sweet. We only part now as I am being deported. I leave words to my fellow villagers that when they land, I expect them to always remember the time they spent here. I marvel at the incredible directions that our lives take us, mm. sometimes hurling us in directions we never could have imagined. And I think how Haoju must have thought about this for the rest of her life. Mm. After she died, her daughter Lena found tucked away an old leather suitcase and inside she found completely intact all Haoju had in the world when she crossed the ocean in 1928. Wow. It was virtually untouched, full of 54 beautifully hand-stitched garments for her dowry. She had kept it all. Wow. Now this suitcase actually belongs to Haoju. Lena was, and her family were kind enough 
to donate some of her clothing and her suitcase to help tell her story. She's got her clothes inside, her immigration card, transcript of the interview. Wow. For me, for some reason, the most poignant things were her shoes mm. just sitting there underneath her suitcase. The, the whole immigration station is set up in such a profound way, it really evokes the stories of these women, most of whom remain completely anonymous. Right. They have this bunkhouse set up as it was in the day with these different bunk beds. Mm. You know, it looks kind of military, but on each bed they have the clothes laid out of the woman who would have lived on that bunk. and. Each, you know, there's some from Africa, some from Polynesia, wow. some from China, Japan, Russia. You get to see the diversity of the women who were there told through the physical artifacts yeah. that are sitting there on the beds. Wow. It really is an amazing place. Maybe... Whether it's huge change or not, if you zoom out far enough, you know I'm a fan of zooming out really far. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's the story of these two sisters, but playing out on two very different stages. But zoom out far enough and the stage is the whole globe and we're all just part of this mm. vast human saga. This is just one story from one bed and there were hundreds of thousands of people that came through here. And each of their stories had a twist of fate that led them to being here and changing their family histories and family stories forever. Special thanks to Casey Lee at Angel Island State Park. And thanks also to Lena and Jill, daughter and granddaughter of Hao Ju, for sharing more information about her life and family photographs. Music for this episode was provided by the Library of Congress and by Land Without Words. You can find links to that music on our website, whatshernamepodcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where we post lots of additional photos and info every week. Our theme song was composed and performed by Daniel Foster Smith. We are so grateful for all of our sponsors. You can become one for as little as a buck a month to help make more episodes happen. And participating at different levels gets you lots of cool prizes like trading cards, cross-stitch patterns, and more. Special shout out to Chantelle Oliver and Mandy Booty. Thanks for donating. Thanks for listening. <laughs>